Joining me on the phone this afternoon, I'm joined with Ralph Cookenbrod, who is with the Illinois Fire Service Institute. Ralph, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. And we're going to talk about a really important topic that I feel like I just never thought about, and I don't know how many people think about this daily. It's probably in the back of their minds a little bit, but cornfield search and rescue, that's going to be an important topic. Yes, uh, we certainly feel it that way, and it happens more frequently than you may imagine. So uh, I'm part of a search and rescue team, and it's one of the things we train for. So what kind of run us through what would a search and rescue look like in a cornfield? Well, first thing most important is to uh, talk to the reporting person, the person who uh, you know, initially called 911, get an idea of where the person went in, and then know, uh, uh, get as much information as you can about that particular person. Is it a child? Uh, does the child have any sort of uh, cognitive issues? Uh, is the is the person you know? Does it have you know? Does he or she have dementia? So you know, try to figure out you know, and and physically what kind of condition they're in. You know, if the, if the lady's 87 years old, pretty frail, you're going to have an idea that she's probably not going to go really far. But if it's you know a 67 year old guy who's you know in in real, relatively good condition and just a bit mentally off, like I could cover some distance. So you may you know. If it's a long cornfield, you may have to go the full length uh, ultimately to find them. So those are sort of the initial informa uh, information we want to gather uh, before we actually send people into the uh, in into the field to look. And the cornfield, it's private property. So how do you navigate going into a field? Well, and you hope that the, the it's a family-owned farm. So if you know grandma walked out the back door, you hope that you know the behind her house is her family's fields. But yeah, you bring up a good point. Just because somebody's missing does not give uh, search and rescue teams uh, the authority to go on property. We, you know, so, uh, so, you know, and most of the time people are very cooperative. You know, so we're going to knock on the door or, you know, we're going to show up and, uh, and ask, you know, to search the field. And that's true of adjacent fields as well, because if we think grandma went into the neighbor's field, we're going to go try to track down who owns that field before we trespass. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get permission before we send people in there. And then we tell our searchers to be very cognizant of uh, breakage. We don't want anybody knocking corn down, try to slip between the, the plants to uh, minimize uh, the damage that we do. And once we get in the rows, of course, it's just no different than, you know, a detasseling machine or some sort of uh, agriculture equipment that goes down the rows. We're certainly not going to damage anything just by walking between the rows. Yeah. But you brought up the point when we started answering that question that a lot of times or you hope that it is that family. Does it happen often that somebody or something you're looking for in a cornfield is not connected to the owner of the field itself? We run into that with uh, uh, usually drunk drivers. They have an accident, they wreck their car, and um, they, they get you know, so the car's in the cornfield and the guy stumbles out of his car and just starts walking down the rows and... You know, that's that's what we think may happen. You know, the guy may have, you know, stumbled out onto the road and called a buddy and have him come get me. But the sheriff, when they show up, they don't know that. So they assume the worst and they think that the guy may be in the cornfield. So, yeah, we could we could be called for a car that's in a, in a cornfield. And uh, just to make sure that the guy's not in there, 
uh, the sheriff will ask for a search and rescue team to uh, to go through the field just to confirm that the the guy's not there. And you give a lot of like webinars that I've seen about this topic. And on one of the slides, you said when you're about to like enter a field, you want to ask if the sp- the field's been sprayed. So what kind of difference does that make to your search and rescue process if it's been sprayed or hasn't been sprayed? Is there much of an impact it has? Certainly. And what we're going to do then is want to talk to the uh, applicator. You know, what sort of chemical did you put on? When did you put on? And what sort of uh, dangers is there to the searchers as they go in and bec- and to the uh, the subject that's in there? Because, you know, the, depending on if it's you know, a little kid, he, he may have been in there for, you know, hours or maybe even days. We had a brewer uh, of a search down in Douglas County where it took them three days to find a guy in the field. So that's a long time to be exposed to some sort of chemical. And we want to know what that chemical is and, and what uh, possible uh, injury it could cause to the person. So we just want to know what's, you know, what what we you know the the searchers could expect to to encounter as they're walking on these le- or walking through these leaves and having them uh, brush up against them. Well, that just three days in a cornfield. I can't. That's just crazy to me because I'm like, okay, it makes sense that getting lost in a cornfield you would be so easy. I mean, we get lost in corn mazes on purpose, so right. <laughs> it makes sense. But three. I couldn't imagine being out there that long. And he lived. He was certainly dehydrated, required uh, medical care, but uh, they did find him in time, and uh, he was no worse for for, for wear, uh, for being out there. So, uh, but but it took him a while. Uh, You know, it was a big field, and they didn't have many uh, searchers to search it, so, but they, they, you know, they, they stuck with it and ultimately found him, and it did have a happy ending. So what other kind of hazards can we bump into when we're searching or being lost in a field? We've got the chemicals, but what other hazards are there? Well, certainly uh, the heat. You know, when, when it's just ungodly hot and really humid, there is no air movement down in there. So you're, you're going to require a, you know, a lot of water just you know, to maintain your, your physiological needs. The leaves are sharp. Uh, there are people who are allergic to pollen. And, of course, you know, it, during, uh, you know, late July, you know, the, the fields are just full of, of, of pollen. Um, and and the, the fact that there's no air movement negates the use of dogs because dogs require uh, air movement so they can pick up the scent. And without a good air movement down in the corn, the dogs just uh, aren't much uh, used to us. So um, and the other thing is, uh, as dense as the corn is, uh, drones and helicopters aren't much use to us. If you saw the video uh, on the webinar that I did, you see the movement of the searchers in the corn much more than you do the, the fact that they're wearing blaze orange. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a tough environment. We tell people to wear long sleeves because of the corn. We ask them to wear the uh, uh, detasseling hats with the mesh fronts so that they uh, they can see and they don't have to worry about uh, leaves uh, scratching their eyes or things of that nature. So, you know, we, we want them to take care of every precaution that they possibly can because we, we need them to stay in the game longer. We, you know, if somebody gets hurt, you know, obviously they get our eyes scratched. Now they're out of the game. And, um, and, and, and it becomes a distraction to the team that now we have to deal with one of our own instead of concentrating on looking for our lost subject. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And you started talking about not being able to use dogs and not really being able to use air methods. How can we find people in the fields? Like, how are we able to find them? Or is there any other assistance that you can use besides just being on foot and walking? Um, if the person has, and I forget the name of the uh, service, but there's an ankle bracelet you can put on people, especially dementia patients, and it enables you, it's sort of like a, a geo tracker, and it enables you to find the patient. Short of having some sort of technology that enables you to do that, it's boots on the ground. It is putting people about two rows apart and just walking the full length of the field. The other thing that, that complicates that is if, and, and this happens with autistic uh, people, they often are afraid of you or they don't want to be found and they could outflank you and come in behind you and then that just complicates the search. But for the most part, the only effective way to search a cornfield is with live searchers. We're talking with Ralph Cookenbroad with the Illinois Fire Service. And we've been talking a lot about missing persons, but there's also evidence searches that you do in the cornfields. Tell us a little bit about those. And it's usually somebody trying to uh, uh, throw out a, like, like they're going down the, the highway and they're you know, worried about getting pulled over by the police with a handgun or drugs or something like that. And we, we get calls for that uh, frequently as well. So, you know, and, and the cops just say, hey, we know he had a gun when he started here. He doesn't have it when we pulled him over there. So we need you to walk the ditches and the first few you know, rows along the ditch to see if you can find the gun. And uh, it's tedious. It's just, <laughs> it's unpleasant. Uh, but, you know, the, the police just don't have the manpower for it. And we're trained for it. Uh, we do. We do train for the for the evidence searches, and like I said, those are you're close together, and you're looking for something relatively small, uh, all the way up to you know you know looking for a, a full size person. But uh, that's what we train for. Is there anything else that you want people to know about this kind of search and rescue? Uh, first, if you're at all interested, contact your local sheriff's department and see if they have a search and rescue team. Please join a search and rescue team because you just never have enough people. These, these searches will uh, pop up, you know, holiday weekends, uh, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the work day when people aren't, you know, are typically at home or at work and not uh, at home where they could uh, participate in a search. And then if you do become part of a team, take the training. Because I tell people, and, and, and this has been proven out, that untrained searchers are only 25% effective. Trained searchers are 65 to 85% effective. So it's not just a matter of walking, or, you know, going through the woods and looking around. We train you how to look, and, and, and that, that makes all the difference. And then call early. It's, if, if little Johnny's missing, just call right away because we would much rather get the notice ahead of, you know, way ahead of the game rather than, you know, hey, it's two hours before dark and it's going to take us an hour to get there, so we're not going to be able to search very long. Call early and uh, don't, be aware, don't be afraid of uh, having us, you know, turn around when, when you find him. And, you know, it was, no, it was kind of a false alarm. No, still call because we would much rather get turned around uh, if we're not needed than, uh, than to get called late in the game. Well, Ralph, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, you're welcome. This is great. Thank you very much. 
Of course. Again, that's Ralph Cookenbrod. He is with the Illinois Fire Service Institute, and he was just discussing cornfield search and rescue tips and techniques with us right here on AM 1330 FM 94.1 WRAM.